0: Next guest is a young man who is a remarkable athlete. When I say young, he's in his mid-30s these days. He was a very good runner back in his day. 342 for 1,500 metres, to bring context to that, John Walker won the 1,500 metres in 1976 in 339. 342 would suggest that you should run a sub-4-minute mile, 358, 359, but my guest just narrowly missed out on it. Mainly due to injuries at key times. He would train with some of the best runners in the country, the likes of Robbie Johnson, two time Olympian, Dale Warrender, Michael Aish. And he was a young man from Auckland's North Shore. He picked up a qualification in geology and headed over to Australia to work in the mines. While over there, he got into a little bit of surfing. And then while surfing one of the breaks south of Perth, he ended up having a very serious accident, breaking his back, having to be highly lifted off that particular beach. To rehab himself, he discovered swimming, and from that, open water swimming. And very shortly, he is going to take on the Rocknest Island Swim, 20 kilometres. Rocknest is an island that sits off the coast of Perth. It's been a remarkable journey. I was lucky enough a couple of weeks ago over the Christmas period to go swimming with him and I was just blown away by how well he does swim. Particularly for somebody who didn't grow up swimming, particularly somebody coming from a running background. You would have heard me say this on the programme many times, but swimming is a taught sport. It's governed by technique. It's governed by flexibility. Flexibility that you tend to lose as you get older. It's like a game of golf, you can play a little golf in the world you want, but you won't shoot a low score unless you've got good technique, and that is swimming. My guest, his name is Stu Kerr, he joins us on the programme. Stu, good afternoon, welcome.
1: Yeah, g'day Waddy, how are you mate? It's good. always good
0: to talk to you, good conversation. Yeah, it's been a hell of a journey, hasn't it Stu? I mean, you grew up on Auckland's North Shore, and I'd imagine like a lot of New Zealanders, you got involved in running, you had aspirations of wearing the black singlet and the silver fern, and representing New Zealand at Commonwealth and Olympic Games. Um, tell us a little bit about how your athletics career sort of got underway.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I grew up in Murray's Bay and went to Rangitoto High School um, and competed, in the, obviously, in the um, national um, secondary schools and sort of had some good results there. Um, sort of finished second in the 3,000 metres as a as a senior boys in the high school and did the steeplechase, devil in that, picked up some medals um, and then sort of, Robbie Johnston sort of approached me and wanted to we sort of took a few of us in, started coaching um and then really sort of really focused on that after high school and through university um and then sort of working way through juniors and picking up some some national medals and things like that um working way into the seniors where you start running with all the you know the big guys and um yeah it sort of just kicked on from there and then um you know you have those aspirations I suppose but you know injuries and things like that, and careers and funding, I guess, and you know all those things that sort of can be roadblocks to people. Sort of, um, yeah, kind of got in the road a little bit, but that's all right, such as life. But um, yeah, really enjoyed my time as an athlete. It was sort of pretty short lived, actually. I think it was all finished by 2005. It was probably, I think, I was only 24 years old. Mm. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, Stu, to do what you did to run three forty-two to win medals at yep. three thousand metres at New Zealand secondary schools, you still yep. got to have a headlight like granite. You still got to have strong mental fortitude. Were well, you always tough? Did other people comment on your mental toughness growing up?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I so. was even as a as a young kid. You sort of I always had a bit of a a, a burn to win. You know, you sort of you have that competitive nature. Um, across all sports, I sort of, I played cricket and soccer and um, other things through high school. And then I think just that transitioned into athletics and it's very much an individual sport, you know, um, quite a selfish sport, I think at times, but, you know, and then it carried through. So I had some success and, you know, won national medals and seniors and things like that. I think it was third in the 1500 metres at the national championships in 2005. And uh, also third, I think I got a third in the 3000 metre champs in 2005 as well
0: so 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 who, um, who were the athletes that you were racing against in New Zealand back then in the 2000s were that was Alan Bunce and those athletes still running?
1: he sort of, yeah bunce had sort of he was sort of doing the longer stuff, but he would kind of he was sort of winding up a little bit actually um he was probably struggling with a lot of injuries I'd managed to do quite a lot of training with him though um I think Robbie Johnson was actually coaching Alan uh, Bunce for a while there too um so I think we did a few runs up in the y Tax, and um yeah it was that was a pretty interesting time um You've, you've done that yourself, Mark. You know all about that. Um, but, yeah, you know, that mental toughness, I think that's something you're sort of um, – it's a talent that you might have, but, you know, hard work will always beat talent if talent doesn't work hard.
0: So, yeah, and it's one of the great lines, isn't it? Uh, Robbie Johnson, two-time yeah. Olympian, yep. 27 minutes, forty-one for ten k, about four or five seconds yep. quicker than what Dick Taylor ran back in nineteen seventy-four to try and put it in context. Robbie's not a guy yep. who had a lot of time for fools, but he always had a lot of time for you. So he clearly saw something in you, Stu. Yeah,
1: yeah, he did. He um, no, Robbie was Robbie was a great, he was a great coach and a great guy, just to, and a and a great mentor. You know, um, just to keep young guys focused and um you know keep keep them level headed um he was really good for that um I think it was yeah 2003 um my dad actually died and then I had Robbie who sort of uh, he was he was just a good coach but also a bit of a father figure there yeah um so that was always that was that was really really good to have that
0: Mm. Um true as you said injuries and then you know you think about your career and you decided that geology and really the best place yep. to do that and it's go sort of in the mines there in Western Australia and I'd imagine as you got more involved in that with the injuries your running dropped off but you picked up surfing it was something you always had an affinity for. Um, how serious were you taking the surfing? How, how, how much surfing were you doing? How much did you enjoy that?
1: Yeah, surfing's always been there for me. I sort of always surfed as a kid growing up as well. I grew up around the beach and that was always there. So it sort of took a bit of a back burner when um, athletics was kind of the main thing. And then um, after it was done, I sort of had the time to really focus on that again. I just really enjoyed it. It was just something that really gave me pleasure and um, it was always it was always there for me. Um, and then so just moving to Australia, I studied geology and there wasn't really much I could do with that in New Zealand. So um yeah, moved into sort of mineral exploration through Western Australia. Um, and I had the time to surf. So yeah, I surfed a lot. Um, got into it. It was my main thing. It was the thing that kept me probably the most happy. I I used, yeah, I, I surfed for as hard as I could, as much as I could for all those years um, after 2005. So right through to the accident, I guess, which was um, only three, pretty much three years ago to the day. So um, yeah, and, I, you know, geology has been great for me. It's been a career that's taken me um, around the world. You know, I've worked in Africa and Canada um, and, and most parts of Australia and remote parts of Australia, um, you know, and I enjoy getting outside. That's, that's what I like to do. So, mm.
0: Tell yeah. us about the surfing accident. Where were you and, and what exactly happened?
1: Yeah, so I was surfing um, down in Margaret River. It's about three hours south of Perth. Um, and I guess there's, there's there's loads of good waves there. It's, it's like a world-class um, region to surf. And so we, we go down there a lot. Um, and I was just surfing at a spot, which is sort of quite remote, sort of about you got to walk up, sort of you park your car, you walk up the beach. Um, it's out the back of Gracetown. It's a place called Umby's. You, it's probably about a kilometre walk up the beach, up a little sand trail or along the soft sand. Um, it, there are reef breaks around this region. so And I, I wasn't doing anything that I wouldn't normally do. It was just a bit of a freak accident, the way I sort of fell and ended up. Um, I ended up basically on a on a cro- on a coral head or like a limestone uh, head of reef and that broke my l two and l three transverse process bones. Um, it was pretty pretty major, sort of actually at the time, I sort of I tell people I think I heard my back break underwater, but I obviously didn't, but it was just the intense pain that was just like a instant you know sharp pain, so I broke both of those bones.
0: How, how did you get yourself out of the water and um, how did you get yourself medical treatment?
1: yeah so i sort of i just sort of floated there for a bit and then kind of like had my sort of draped on my board the whitewash was sort of pushing me in Uh, luckily there was um there was a guy on the wave behind me he noticed i was in trouble and holly my partner holly was on the beach and she could sort of see what was going on so she sort of ran out and then both of them sort of helped me in um i just sort of lay flat kind of on my board and sort of washed in they sort of helped me up the beach um you know he had to ask permission He, he said what, you know are you okay i said no no i think i've broken my back um because i couldn't put my feet down i sort of could but it was just the pain was so intense and he was like sort of freaking out he didn't really know what to do um but he was actually a trained surf club lifeguard so um it, it worked out good you know they got me in they stabilized me on the beach um and i was there for about an hour and a half before the um the medevac or the vac came in and picked me up but there was no cell phone reception there there's nothing so Holly had to run up to the top of this cliff and try and get the SOS going on and people were running up to the car park mm. and trying to get the Ambos to, to meet there but we couldn't get there mm. so needed the helicopter.
0: What's going through your mind when you've, you know, you're lying there, you think you've broken your back, you're in a world of pain, are you, are you thinking worst case scenario? Are you thinking am I going to walk again and what's going through your head, mate? Um,
1: I kind of, you sort of yeah, a lot goes through your head I sort of I could feel my legs and could wiggle them and I could move but it was just intense pain So I just you know, I didn't I didn't actively do that, but I knew that I could do that. So um, I wasn't entirely sure what was going on I knew that I'd broken something in my back because it was just the pain I just couldn't even move really without without this mm. intense pain. I, once the adrenaline wore off, you know and that that was probably ten minutes or so I got to the beach, but um yeah you, you worry you do you, you really think you you know i think when i was in the helicopter all strapped up that was probably the moment of truth when i thought far out what have i what have i done you know like what's going to happen um am i going to surf again <laughs> that was the main the first thing that popped up I was like mm. am i am I actually going to be able to surf like what have i done you know
0: yeah it's funny that, that isn't i remember having a few accidents on my bike when i was training uh, on my road bike uh, triathlon and stuff and you gave the handlebars get hit by a car and Breaking your collarbones, and your first thing you think about is my bike. Okay, <laughs> am I going to be able to run? <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 strange, isn't it? The thing that gets you into trouble is the thing that you still hope you can get back to. It's uh, Stu, but it was a bit yeah. lackadaisical, wasn't it? Once you actually sort of arrived at hospital in terms of the treatment and then checking you out, and <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it wasn't exactly. Uh, it sounds like it was all a bit too sort of. Uh, she'll be right
1: yeah mate yeah it certainly was i got i got there and i was sort of once they did the scans so they got i got a bunch of x-rays done um they needed to figure out what i'd actually broken they knew that i'd broken something in my back but they needed to figure out what exactly was um and i i broke my back about eight o'clock in the morning i think i was basically by about four o'clock i think it was the doctor came through and had the scans and i was sitting there on you know pretty doped up on a few painkillers and um he said, "Oh, you you're all right. You've got a stable break. So you've broken your L2 and L3 transverse process bones, but they haven't broken off. So you don't need any surgery. I think you can. You don't need to be airlifted to the Perth Royal Hospital for anything further. Um, yeah, you can just. Um, yeah, you can just. You can just. When you're ready, you can go." And I thought, "What?" <laughs> um, and I tried to. I said, "When?" And he of said, "Oh, when you when you're ready." And I tried to sit up off the bed, and I. Uh, it was just so much pain. I think I, I think I fell backwards. Just almost ready to vomit. And the nurse sort of came over and she said, I don't think he realises how much pain you'll be in. And she just whacked the IV Mm. full of probably some further morphine. Um, Then they stuck me in a wheelchair, mate, wheeled me out the door um, to the car in the emergency department. Holly drove me back down to Margaret River and, um, yeah, I had to spend the next 10 days or so down there while we were still on holiday um, and just in a world of pain. But they didn't even give me really any painkillers. So I had to hobble into the emergency department down there the next day I hadn't even slept properly I couldn't even sleep nothing and then um, the doctor just kind of was standing in the reception area and he sort of looked at me and he thought are you alright like what's happened I said oh, I broke my broke my back yesterday and he kind of went oh, I th- I think I better see you before I see anyone else and he when he found out that I really didn't have any painkillers he just prescribed me a whole pile of oxycodone and you know slow release ones and all sorts and then I was sort of okay um, beyond that but it was pretty scary not getting anything proper to to fix that up you know it was yeah
0: it was Mm -hmm. a lot of pain so then it was just a simple case of time and um hoping for it to all, all heal
1: yeah time management and just you know i didn't i couldn't do anything until those bones had sort of like at least fused a little bit um back together but i just was in so much pain i couldn't stand i couldn't walk i couldn't sit down i couldn't lie down i couldn't you know i needed help like going and getting in the shower, going to the toilet, like everything was just a major battle. And luckily I had Holly there through, through so, that, that whole process, which was amazing.
0: So, 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 uh, t- so tongue in cheek, it was just a little bit more painful than running the wider rule with the boys on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was,
1: it was a little bit pain, more painful, mate. I think it was a little bit different, but, um, yeah. although that concrete monster can get you, mate. But, um, <laughs> yeah yeah it was it it was it was weird i sort of i found a couple of days later i found that i could get myself down to the the margaret river river mouth and actually just hobble into the water and um just be suspended in the water you can't i wouldn't float around or anything but just sort of hobble up so that all the weight there was no weight bearing or load going through my spine or through Mm. my back um and i used that for therapy every day um pretty much straight away actually because they encouraged me to move around because it was a stable break um and that was, you know, the old water therapy
0: coming, coming true. So that was good. You're listening to SENZ. My guest on the program is former New Zealand runner Stu Kerr, who left New Zealand at 24, very good runner in his day. Um, took up a job in geology in the mines and then got back to his passion of surfing. Ended up having a terrible surfing injury. Which brings us to the next part of the interview, Stu. Um like a lot of athletes we need our sovereignty we need our sense of self-worth we need to wake up and challenge ourselves at some level every day it was athletics it was then surfing how did you discover swimming and open water swimming
1: yeah so one of the first things when i was doing my rehab and i did a lot of rehab um with with a really great guy down at um down at the physio and he was he's, he was actually actually a really good rugby player he's an irish guy and he we did a lot of pilates um, actually on reformers and strength work and things like that and i sort of said to him like when like the first thing you know athletes say is when do you reckon i can get back out there sort of thing um i said you said well, what are your goals and i sort of said well what about easter he said oh okay um easter's late this year is it i said no easter's at the beginning of i think it was april he's like oh okay well, let's just take one step at a time um but i said what can i do what can i do to, to stay fit can i swim and he said yeah, swimming's a, swimming will be a really good way for you to, to rehab yourself. And so I started swimming um, and that was just, I'd go to the pool. I don't know, I sort of, I could barely swim 100 metres without stopping and that was no I was, geez, I'm really unfit <laughs> at the same time as um, I kind of really enjoyed that journey of sort of this swim using swimming um, and then I started to, to, to go to the beach and swim open water. I I'd never joined a squad or anything like that. Um, th- that was obviously way later. Um, I just used swimming as a means of processing that, um you know staying mentally fit uh, well and fit, um healthy, and just using it as a bit of rehab and then the open water came after that soon after that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, Joe. I mean, you've picked up the sport. It's a tough sport to pick up. um I mean, it's a technique-based sport like a golf swing. so so understanding the fundamentals, the principles of swimming, did you get coaching? I mean, how did you how did you um, yeah, how did you garner your technique?
1: No, I just, I never had any coaching. I, I'm a sort of like a self-taught swimmer. I just, um, I've always been comfortable in and around the ocean and sort of um, in the water. I just sort of watched a lot of, watched a lot of other people swim, watched a bit of video, few videos, talked to some, I've got some friends who are really good swimmers um, and they've given me a lot of tips and I sort of just talk to them um, and swim with them, get a bit of guidance. But most of the time, it's just all by feel. I sort of... Um, sort of taught myself a few things and I I had lots of issues with my stroke and lots of swimming (laughs) problems as you can imagine um and just kind of plugged away at it ticked away and watched a lot of youtube videos and getting some technique drills and just started applying those it's probably not the best way to do it, but it seems to have worked for me to, to now, but I probably now need to join a
0: squad and get some coaching. So, Stuart, it went from being a rehab to becoming a passion to something that you, you really enjoy now and that you're really driven in to the point where you've yep. entered this Rockney swim, which is a 20-kilometre swim. You've had to qualify for that. To qualify, you did a 10K event where you swam basically two hours, 30 minutes, which is remarkable for a non-swimmer. Um, yep. And so what? This, this is your thing now, is it?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I um, yeah, I sort of I swim more than I surf now. I don't, you know, it's sort of I used to love surfing more than anything, and I think now I love swimming more than surfing. So that's kind of a <laughs> a weird thing for me to say, but um, yeah, it's it, I've I've just fallen in love with, with open water swimming. It's um, yeah, it's just something I'd, I'd like to do it every day. Um, if I'm not in the pool, I only swim in the pool twice a week. Um, and I might go and do some drill sets, but the rest of it is all in the um, all in the open water. Um, you know.
0: and, and and to put it in context, yesterday uh, as part of your training for the swim, you d- went out with a group and you swam ten kilometres. This is no wetsuit. This is just you're not out there in a wetsuit, but you're out there in some very warm water in Perth, and you swam ten k. Now to put that in context, that's four hundred lengths of a swimming pool with no tumble turns, um, and you know with, with some very good swimmers uh, and employing some of the um, some of the tactics that go with open water swimming in terms of using other people to draft off, et cetera? Yep.
1: yep. Yeah, so we've got a big group. I swim with a big group called the Pod Squad down in um, North Cottesloe to Cottesloe. We swim that stretch. There's people down there every day. Um, we've got, you know, people that are elite swimmers right through to all levels. But, um, yeah, yesterday we did a 10K swim. Um, you know, we, there's a group of us. There'll be different levels. So I think in our group there was about 10 swimmers um and you know some of them only did 8k so i actually just did the last 2k on my own um but yeah drafting is a thing and you practice practice all these things you know and i think what is what is it what is 15% less um energy you know spent when yep. you're drafting off 15% the crew. drag
0: coefficient yeah
1: yeah and so that's part of open water swimming and when you do these 10k races you want to try and use that um as as best as you can but it's also nutrition you know we have to practice that um you know, and you've got to get that right, mate. I, I think as a runner, um, I probably didn't really ever think about that too much um, because I was doing middle distance stuff, obviously. But when the marathon, once you start doing marathon swims or marathon races, you know, that becomes really important. Training number one, nutrition number two, conditions number three, you know.
0: Mm. Y- yes, Stu, I want to ask you this. So, so in terms of, the training for open water swimming, say versus the training that you did in athletics. I mean, I struggle with I struggle with the training principles of swimming. They because it's a non weight bearing sport, they think they can smash and bash and thrash you a bit harder. Um, what what what's basically been the fundamental difference between swim training and athletics training when you look back? Yeah,
1: it's so it's so different. I um, and being like a runner, I didn't understand swimming, and I sort of when I started, I, I just applied what I knew from from running. Um, but you know, to go to the pool every day and just slam those 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 sets out, and they don't, they didn't make a lot of sense to me. Which was, I'm not a swimmer, but to do endurance training, um, threshold training, and sp- speed work all in the one set, and then turn around and come back the next day, I was like, you guys do that? Wow, okay. I mean, I, I would never have dreamt of doing our bread and butter workout of ten times four hundred and sixty seconds on the track with sixty seconds recovery, and you come back the next day and you just do it over and over and over. It's sort of. It didn't really make any sense. I I, I I train a little bit like a runner, actually. Yeah, Boy, I do. Well,
0: a, I don't, I don't of... but I don't disagree with it, and I think it's been very effective.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been really effective for me. I mean, I've gone from a non-swimmer to, you know, a two thirty ten k swimmer, um, and just to basically on my own and applying what I knew from running as that that endurance and threshold and being, getting in that zone of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, but you're not exploding, and you can play around with that a little bit. You know, and you get your nutrition right, and you can sort of, um, you get a feel for the water and how you, what speed you're swimming, and you kind of learn that. But that's quite similar to running and pace judgment. Mm.
0: You're listening to SCNZ, Stu Kerr, my guest on the program, uh, former uh, New Zealand runner um, turned surfer, and after a surfing accident, now open water swimming, living in Perth. Stu, you're going to do the Rocknest swim in February. It's 20 kilometres. As I said, you've had to qualify. There is a lot of sea life in Perth. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the swim and tell us about, I guess, some of the peripheral things that surround this race that make it greater than the sum of its parts.
1: Yeah, it's a really iconic swim. It's probably, I think it's one of the biggest open water swim events in the world now. Um, I think there's going to be, there'll be over 2,500 swimmers in total this year. Um, And I think there's probably at least 450 soloists. I don't know the exact um, number of that and the rest of it's made up from duos and teams of four Um, and I think you know it's it's when you talk about marine life I think we're in one of the sharkiest coastlines in the world Um, there are some big white pointers and um, lots of other shark species around but it's not something that's really ever been a thing to worry about Um, in my mind you know I'd be lying if I said it and think about it but you you sort of get to a point where you do so much swimming it becomes comfortable. But the Roto Channel swim, it's they've got great safety around it all. Um, you know, every swimmer or team has to be accompanied by a boat, um, a a crew, and also a kayaker. So you have to be assisted with a kayaker. Um, but this the, the swim's grown immensely since 1956. I think was the first solo crossing. Um, and you know, and nine to put it, they didn't run it actually. Um, a an organised event until I think nineteen ninety one. Since nineteen fifty six, even though people were doing the crossings, um, and yeah, it's just grown. For it's huge. It's it's grown from say sixteen solo swimmers in nineteen ninety one to about four hundred and fifty now. So, yeah.
0: Mm, yeah. Remarkable. Okay. And you you're on track. And are you are you looking to genuinely? Is it about finishing this, or are you actually genuinely looking to race it? Or I mean, is there, is there a difference?
1: Yeah, there's a difference. I think my goal was to to qualify. I wanted to be in the first wave off the beach. Um, there's a Champions of the Channel, which is amazing. They're, they're the elite swimmers and they're going to, I mean, mate, some of the times they're pumping are incredible. They're, you know, I think Bailey Armstrong came over from Queensland last year. He swam 348 and broke the record. Um, we've got our local boy, Kyle Lee, and the women are incredible as well. All the records went last year because the conditions were so good um to put that into perspective i think bailey armstrong coley are probably swimming 65 or 60 seconds 67 second 100 speed the whole way across um i'll be be really happy if i can you know it's my first mm. time i did a duo last year and we we swam five and a half hours in our duo i'd be pretty chuffed if i could sort of swim somewhere around about that um but it all depends on the conditions and how you how you go mm. on the day mate you know mm. it's a uh, yeah
0: it's. A, I just want to put it in context for people. So I encourage everyone to go down to their local pool, four lengths of most pools in New Zealand, because most pools are 25 metres. Um, go out and swim as hard as you can for four lengths. And then put in context that the top swimmers are doing that, okay, 20 kilometres of it at 106, 107 pace. It is simply remarkable what these top athletes in sports like swimming athletics and these endurance-based sports and these athletes actually do, stew.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, incre- it's incredible to think about those speeds. You know, like my, I don't know what my cruising speed is, but it's probably, you know, I'd probably be sitting on like 135 or 140 sort of speed and to, you know, I can't even go to, I can't even swim at 65. There's no, <laughs> I couldn't even do that with a top pole, you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah, it is it is it is remarkable. Yeah. but.
0: But but good pool swimmers don't always become good open water swimmers, and it is a slightly different skill set out there. It is a um, thing. And, again, you can get different conditions. And so, Stu, I guess you've just got to get out there in all conditions too. I mean, there's no point not going out on a windy day.
1: Absolutely not, no. Like, we swim every day regardless of what the conditions offer up. So, yeah. like in Perth and we swim all through winter as well. And if it's four metres and southwest winds, well, you know, tough luck, it's going to be a hard day in the office, we'll, there'll be at least a half a dozen of, of us which will turn up and swim. Um, and if it, even if it's just two Ks, you know, it might take you 30 minutes to, to swim the first K up against the current and into the waves, but then you can come back in 12 minutes, you know,
0: and it's, it's a lot of fun. So. Well, Stu, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure hearing your story and catching up, mate, and we wish you all the very best over the sort of the next four to five weeks in the build-up to this race, and we might do a little bit of a follow-up interview. So uh, go hard, my good man.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. Good, always good chatting with you, mate, and I'm happy to talk about it afterwards.